potential and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome everybody again to another episode of our show, bringing you not one, but two really fascinating guests today uh, involved in creating a better tomorrow on some really unique fronts. Um, we are joined today first uh, by uh, Michael Poizel, who is the executive director of PCI Ventures, which is a division uh, of the Penn Center for Innovation here in Philadelphia, which is specifically focused on creating early stage businesses uh, founded on University of Pennsylvania technologies. Uh, he is responsible for managing uh, PCI ventures, including transitioning uh, technologies into startup companies, uh, assisting with the principal investigators with funding strategies, including grant applications, uh, ultimately as well as mentoring uh, these developing companies. Uh, prior to UPenn, uh, Michael was involved in investments in, in enterprise software, uh, business services for New Spring Capital, APAX Partners, and G Capital, uh, where he had a 10-year career in private equity. He began his career in, in, in manufacturing uh, with General Electric and Lockheed Martin. Uh, he graduated with honors in mechanical engineering uh, from Rose-Hulman Institute of Technology, holds a master's in systems engineering from uh, the Moore School of Engineering of UPenn, also has an MBA in finance and entrepreneurial management from Wharton. Uh, and additionally, he serves as the chief executive officer of the PCI Venture spin-out Philo Pharma, which we'll be discussing today, uh, which is a really unique company uh, developing novel plant-based technology platforms uh, for cost-effective and shelf-stable protein delivery. Uh, we also have the honor today of being joined by Dr. Andrea Madalina Serban, who serves as Philo Pharma's Chief Operating Officer. Uh, Dr. Serban is a, a medical doctor uh, by training specialized in pediatric surgery, uh, a medical degree from uh, Caradovia University of Medicine and Pharmacy in Bucharest. Uh, she also has a master's degree in business administration, focused on behavioral economics from University of Bucharest, as well as a master's in genetics uh, from University of Paris-Cité and a master's uh, in uh, regeneration, replacement, and tissue uh, repair surgical sciences from Paris University. Uh, really unique background, uh, very some interesting topics we're going to be getting into today. But uh, Andrea, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today to talk a little bit about these teams. Thank you, Ira. Thank you so much for inviting us, Ira. Yeah, it, it's great having both of you. Um, I, I would love to start off, um, as we typically do, by handing the floor to both of you uh, independently. So we can start with Michael um, and then move to Andrea. Uh, Michael, take us just a little bit more into your story and, and a little bit about this current role uh, in terms of, you know, I know we 
refer to the Philadelphia ecosystem now sort of as this Silicon Valley uh, when it comes to all things biomedical. But talk a little bit about uh, your background and what got you interested in sort of moving from, as I mentioned, sort of the enterprise software business uh, to sort of managing this really interesting, diverse portfolio of technologies coming out of UPenn. Certainly. Thank you, Ira. So I spent 10 years in venture capital, most recently with New Spring Capital here in, in Philadelphia. And we had a very successful run. Uh, the firm was doing great. But as with any firm, as they get more successful, you raise larger funds, you start to transition the strategy of the firm, and it becomes later and later stage. And when the opportunity at Penn came along, I was very interested in being able to help the university with early stage technology and trying to transition that technology into a commercial setting. And that's really where this all started. When I joined Penn, I saw too many examples where technology would get to the point of publishing a paper, but there wasn't a clear path as to where it would go from there to actually being able to try to make it a commercial product. We certainly had a licensing strategy, as did most other major universities, but there, for many reasons, that strategy was being challenged, certainly in part because large corporations weren't employing researchers as much as they were previously. They were going more to a model of just D rather than R&D, mm -hmm. which then made it harder for the university to build licensed patents that were basic in nature. So we really needed a strategy for advancing these technologies to a point that they would look more like products that companies would want to develop further. And that's where this was all born from. And I came to university to help develop that process, which is what we have today. So within PCI Ventures, we have different entrepreneurial programs. The one that's most notable is called Upstart, where we provide a high level of services to the companies to be able to help them get to a point of success. Excellent. And, and Andre, you, um, you know, I, I read through your bio, but, you know, I, I, I dove a little into your um, your scientific publication history and you have a fascinating array of uh, things that you've been focusing on over the years. You know, I, I mentioned sort of the pediatric stuff and you, you published on mitochondrial diseases and congenital abnormalities. But at the same time, you have papers on sort of phytopharmaceutical compound discovery. You have work in uh, in, in, in stem cell transdifferentiation in pancreas regeneration. Uh, talk a little bit about yourself because you have really a very unique mix. And I, I can see why ultimately we'll, we'll talk about phylopharma, what, why you're perfect for what you're doing there. But Take us into your past, please. Thank you so much, Ira, and thank you for taking the time to actually review all my portfolio. Uh, I would consider myself to be very lucky. I, I had a lot of opportunities with time. So it all started with me going to the medical school in Bucharest, as you've mentioned. Uh, I decided to continue training in pediatric surgery. I wanted a specialty that would lead to results and lead to visible results fast. So uh, that was, to me, the specialty that could bring, uh, as a clinician, the highest impact. Uh, I did my training in Bucharest. Then I went on to do some fellowships uh, in different places in Europe. I, I was fortunate to work at Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. Uh, I also worked at uh, Necker Enfant Malad Hospital in Paris, and uh, I joined the team at Cannell Clinic in Luxembourg. So those were all excellent experiences that allowed me to understand the ups and downs of a clinical career from a perspective of a person who wants to see impact. Uh, so I, I, besides my clinical training, I've 
also always been passionate about research, again, because I wanted to be a factor of change and I felt uh, that I could be one. So in terms of research, I had, as you've mentioned previously, I've done a master in genetics at the uh, René Descartes University in Paris. That was back in 2012, so quite a while ago. Uh, then two years later, I was extremely fortunate to receive the French government scholarship for a Master of Research at Pasteur Institute in Paris. And this is when I, I was initially exposed to regenerative medicine, cell therapy, so an extremely fascinating uh, topic of research. Uh, then I came back to Romania for a few years and I joined a team at the Center for Excellence in Translational Medicine. Mm -hmm. And this is where I was actually where, I, where I've worked on the research project that was closest to my heart. Uh, it, it was a, a research project funded by the European Union and it was a collaboration with Sheba Medical Institute in Israel. And uh, this was a project on replacement therapies in diabetes, which yep. also right now with our project at Fallo Pharma fits very well into my research interest. And on the entrepreneurial side, Again, going back to impact and um, bringing transformation. Uh, I got my MBA in 2019 and I went down to founding two companies um, in Europe. Uh, in 2021, I was selected to represent Romania for an entrepreneurial program that was supported by the US uh, State Department. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how I joined Michael's team at PTIV. And this is where I learned more about Dr. Daniel's technology developed at University of Pennsylvania. And that's how it all started. So I joined the team as chief operating officer and it's been a great adventure ever since. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, most definitely. And I, I, I very much enjoyed going through PubMed and looking at sort of that journey uh, as it was unfolding. Yeah, I mean, let's, um, Let's start off, um, and we can go both, you know, Mike, from the perspective of sort of, um, you know, looking at molecular farming as as a business, but then also sort of the the history of molecular farming here. And Andrew might want to start with this one, but um, you know, I and, and just as a sort of disclosure, I've had some of my own business experience a couple decades ago in this space when it was kind of embryonic. But when we look at this area of, of molecular farming or sort of the production of uh, non-traditional items uh, in sort of plant bioreactors, whether it's a tomato plant or tobacco, what have you. Um, about 20 years ago or so, um, the space was sort of uh, heavily focused on, you know, how we could use this interesting biomass to make, at the time, uh, it was all these monoclonal antibodies that were in development. So they, we were afraid that we didn't have capacity uh, and we needed other systems besides the CHO cells and everything. And about 99% of the industry was focused there. About 1% was focused on sort of the edible vaccines and, and all the other stuff. It seems like now in 2023, things are the other way that, you know, maybe plants didn't pan out as great bioreactors to make those drugs, but they're good for a lot of other things. Talk a little bit, uh, if you would, maybe let's start here with Andrea and you mentioned Dr. Danielle, because that's where a lot of this began at Penn. Um, talk a little bit about just the history of and the evolution of molecular farming uh, per the Daniel Lab and, and, and University of Pennsylvania in general. Sure, thank you, Ira. So it's fascinating. What Dr. Daniel has managed to do at uh, uh, UPenn is life-changing, and I think it will be the next breakthrough in pharmacology. So he uses genetics 
it basically isolates the gene of interest and inserts that gene into the chloroplast. This, as simple as it sounds, it can change the way we see drugs currently. So he has managed to do this for proteins of different sizes, starting with seven residues up to several thousand residues, like 3,000, 4,000. So as mentioned before, he isolates the gene of interest. He inserts that gene into the uh, plant leaves. He uses lettuce for that because lettuce has the advantage of allowing rapid water removal through lyophilization. The powder that you obtain through that process is shell-stable, so you can keep that at room temperature for up to two or maybe even more years. So we can see the huge benefits there. So he uses a gene gun, he inserts the gene of interest into the chloroplast, he uh, grows the plants, the plants uh, give modified seeds. The gene, the modified genes, uh, seeds can be later used to obtain other modified plants. So uh, the um, process is very easy, seems very easy at least. Uh, once you get the mature uh, plant, you put that plant through a fertilization process, you obtain a powder, and then the powder can be used for either topical treatment or systemic effects. When we talk about topical treatment, we would put that powder into a medicated chewing gum. And the medicated chewing gum can uh, decrease the viral load for different viruses that have a reservoir in the oral cavity. We know for sure uh, SARS-CoV-2 um, has his sweet spot of replication in the salivary glands. We know it's true for influenza viruses, H uh, HPV, uh, different herpes viruses. So there is a whole range of viruses that have an oral reservoir. So when we talk about topical treatment, we talked about the medicated chewing gum that will go in the oral cavity, in the epithelium, and either uh, block the virus from entering the cells, or it will even block the viruses before having any contact with the oral mucosa. And we said there's a second part to what Dr. Daniel has managed to do, which is a, going for systemic effects which means that you would take the uh, powder that you obtain through the localization process, you will take that powder containing the protein of interest, you will put that into a capsule. The capsules, once, once ingested, uh, will be protected by the acid in the um, stomach. We know that this has always been the problem with proteins. We can't already deliver proteins because they would be destroyed by the enzymes in the gastric acid. So you would put that into a capsule. The plant cell walls protect the protein. The protein reaches the um, intestinal portion that follows the duodenum, so just below the duodenum. The bacteria that's localized there would break the beta linkages in the plant cell walls, will release the protein of interest. Uh, Dr. Daniels uses CTB. So the CTB will bind to those specific receptors present in that area. They will be later cleaved, and the protein of interest will be released in the in in the bloodstream. And this systemic administration for us, the holy grail is insulin, and this is one of the projects that we we are developing, we are working on. And, and just while we're at it, can you say a few other words about sort of the unique? Because you know you mentioned the chloroplast expression, and then obviously the. Um, uh, the the, ma the major issue with therapeutic proteins and the destruction. Talk talk about what we've learned uh, again over the the recent years in terms of the benefits of let's say the the plant biology that make that biomass source such a you know 
so useful, let's say, uh, as a not just a production system, but a delivery vehicle as well. Yeah, uh, we talked about delivery and we talked about the fact that the plants allow for the protein to be protected. So that's the huge benefit compared to any other delivery systems. You Finally, we have a way of making a protein that is orally ingested reach its target in, in the digestive tract where the receptors are and allow that protein to finally reach the bloodstream. Excellent. Excellent. And as you mentioned, uh, the... Um, uh, the chewing gum project, and that's been in the news a lot lately. So here specifically, um, you, know, you are looking to, uh, I believe, take ACE receptor protein, uh, express it, and then ultimately put it in the form per uh, the plant and then into the, the chewing gum vehicle uh, so that, you know, if there is virus and, and the vir this virus loves, unfortunately, the ACE2 receptor in our bodies. But if we can bind it ahead of time in the oral cavity, um, t take us just a, a little bit of, of, of what's going on with this project. I know there's a clinical trials plan to ultimately study this, I think, in combination with the School of Dental Medicine at Penn. But um, talk a little bit about sort of the history of this particular project per COVID uh, and, and where it's going so far. Sure, sure. So, uh... We were lucky that Dr. Daniel has worked for decades prior to COVID existing on ACE2. He had investigated the effects of ACE2. He had the technology ready to isolate the gene of interest and insert it into plants. So once the entire world knew that COVID loves ACE2, as you pointed out, yeah. the, the obvious direction to move his research was towards exploring ways of fighting of, of fighting the virus. So the way he does this is um, in, in two mechanisms. Once um, it, the, the virus would be trapped because the ACE2 would bind to the spike protein, as you mentioned, that's located on the surface of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And in the second, in, um, as a second mechanism to block the, the entry of the virus in the oral mucosa, mm -hmm. you have the GM1 receptor. And uh, uh, the GM1 receptor will, will block the, again, the, uh, the virus cannot enter the oral mucosa because it will be blocked. Um, at the level of the epithelium. In terms of development uh, stages so far, so Dr. Daniel, uh, back in May, had uh, managed to obtain FDA approval for a phase one, two clinical trial. Um, we know ACE2 from before. We have ACE2, we all have ACE2 in our bodies. So we know that this is a safe um, component to administer. So that allows the clinical study to go beyond what we will typically see as a phase one of exploring safety. We have a phase sure. one to clinical trial that has been approved by the FDA, allowing us to first, of course, uh, explore any adverse effects of the substance, but also move beyond that and uh, be able to prove a reduction of the viral load. Uh, so we would take saliva samples from the patients before and after chewing the gum, and we would determine the, the, the viral load there. So the FDA approved this again back in May, uh, and there have been a, a several steps that needed to be followed in order to have the clinical study started, but hopefully it, it will soon enroll patients. So Excellent. I look forward Excellent. to that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Mike, moving over to you, and we'll come back to, to uh, Andrea to discuss insulin and, and, and some other projects. Um, clearly, I, 
a project like Phylopharma, and this it's it's many things, right? It, it's a biotech company, it's a biopharma company, it's a device company, a biomanufacturing. Talk from a P- PCI perspective. You look at this. You, you know, you you have amazing technology coming out of the laboratories at Penn. Um, talk a little bit how you go about what you do in terms of hey, you know, we have this tool. Let's set up a company. Um, let's get funded. Uh, let's you know create this initial business plan and clinical plan, what have you. Talk about your role here and, and, and a little bit of the history on how you know you put together sort of what exists today as sort of the corporate model per. Philopharma at PCI. Sure. When we originally began the program, we saw a need for a mechanism that faculty could take their technology and apply for SBIR grants, which are small business innovative research grants sure. funded by the government. And so the original idea was, could we form a paper company for the purpose of applying for that SBIR, which we did, and we started to have some success. Um, through that process, I met the director of the uh, National Science Foundation, director of uh, SBIRs, and became friends with him. And he really was interested by the model, and he wanted to get the perspective of all of the SBIR program managers. So he arranged an opportunity at a conference where I got to sit down with all of them and described what I was doing. And I was very much in fear that they would say, well, you're really screwing up the program because you're just forming paper companies, right? Yeah. And and they said, no, we, we do appreciate that because we don't have enough good proposals. So we like to have created a mechanism for Penn professors to be able to do this. But they pushed me and said, could you do this on a bigger scale? Could you actually create a real company, not just form the paper and, and sort of stop there? Right. And I took that back and started to think about how could we develop a process to generate an actual real company? And for us at Penn, because we do not have a fund, we don't put initial funding into these businesses, we really need to bring on a CEO early in the process and use them and work with them to uh, raise the money and develop the plan for the business. And I say plan for the business instead of business plan because we don't write 30, 50, 100-page documents anymore, but we need to know where we're going and what's the vision for the business. And so we bring the entrepreneur on board, we give them equity in the company, and we work with them to develop what the company will be. So I, I give the example, many times I'll ask a faculty member to tell me about their company, and they'll start talking about their technology. And I'll say, okay, understand that's the technology. Now we need to figure out what is the business we're going to create from the technology and and really work with the management team to understand what is the market opportunity. What's, first of all, what's the problem we're trying to solve, right? What's the market opportunity and what's our solution and how is it going to be defensible? And really those kind of basic ideas about starting a company and going from there. And uh, and we work with them every step of the way. So bringing on the management team, helping them come up with the plan for the business, talk about the funding strategy. We have a Rolodex of investors that we can bring the company to and talk to them about the opportunity in front of them. And then once it looks like the company is going to get funded, six years ago, we opened the Penovation Center, which is an incubator where companies can come and build their businesses. We filled that building. We asked Penn to renovate a second building. They did. We filled that. Our third building came online last January. It's now full. And so Penn has commissioned the fourth and fifth buildings uh, to be built, and they'll break ground next next spring. Excellent. Excellent. And, and then from, from there, just to finish that thought, um, somebody from my team stays on the board of the company as long as they want us to be. And that's an unusual feature of this program that we're that intimate. I describe it as 
We're not cheerleading from the sideline. We're actually in the game. We're working with these companies on almost a daily basis, uh, helping them solve their problems and reduce the friction of starting a business. That's really where I see our, one of our core values is just helping companies reduce the friction that, that they in their inevitably will experience through this and, and working them as closely as they can. If investors no longer want us to be a part of things, they want us to back away. We'll certainly do that. We have lots of flow that, that keeps coming in. Uh, a new pipeline of companies is always waiting for us. Uh, but sadly for us and our time, we've only had that happen a couple of times. And so we are on the boards of a lot of companies and working with a lot of different ones at the same time, which is fun because we get to experience so many different types of technologies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Andre, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, your own work in, in, uh, in diabetes and the pancreas and stem cell transdifferentiation and things like that. Um, clearly, you know, one of the, uh, focuses uh, sort of after the antiviral chewing gum program is on insulin. And, I, you know, obviously the oral insulin has always been one of those holy grails of, of the industry in general. Um, t- take us a little sort of where where you're going or where you you hope to be going with either that or, or related uh, portfolio items in sort of the, the metabolic space. Sure, sure. As as we mentioned initially, there are two major types of applications for Dr. Daniel technology, the topical treatment and the systemic one. So we spoke about topical treatment as it relates to the ACE2 medicated chewing gum. With regards to the systemic effects, oral insulin, or to be more specific, oral pro-insulin is uh, one of the projects we will focus in, in the next few months. Uh, what does that mean? We know at the moment the only option for administration of insulin is three injections. This comes with high costs. This comes with the needs of uh, storage at uh, um, um, so uh, storage in in specific conditions that make it that make the insulin unavailable for a large portion of the population out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes with discomfort for the patient. We know it often it often happens that there are complications at the site of the injections. It's obviously not easy for all categories of patients to administer injections. So we try to help patients with diabetes, but right now there are a lot of limitations to what we can do with injectable insulin. Sure. To add to that, we know the risk of hypoglycemia. That's so significant with patients. We know hypoglycemia is more dangerous to them than hyperglycemia, and it can even lead to convulsions or compli- complications on the neurological side. So what Dr. Daniel manages to do with creating an oral pro-insulin is, first of all, mimicking as close as possible what we would have in a normal, in a physiological scenario. So we know in our bodies, if our pancreas is healthy, we would get at a certain uh, stage in the uh, in the process of obtaining insulin, we would get pro-insulin that contains both C-peptide and insulin. And this has been proven to be beneficial because C-peptide has a role in protecting the kidneys of patients with diabetes, the brain, retina. So we we know that now. We did not know that 50 years ago when uh, injectable insulin was developed. So with his project, Dr. Daniel 
manages to obtain an insulin that's closer to a physiologically secreted insulin. And this helps because we expect to have a profile, a pharmacodynamic and pharmacokinetic profile that's closer to physiologic, preventing mm -hmm. some of the complications that we have with the current injectable insulin. And obviously, on top of that, we get all the benefits that the platform has to offer in terms of um, shelf stable shelf, uh, shelf stability for components mm -hmm. at room temperature, and obviously oral administration instead of injectable. So we're very excited for that project, as you can probably see. Yeah, absolutely. And it got me thinking also about, you know, um, in, in terms of these, uh, this unique expression system, um, you know, you're not limited um, to one thing. I mean, obviously you could, you know, multi, uh, multiplex and all that. Um, any interest, I mean, obviously early, it's early on in the process, but when you think of, especially some of these chronic diseases where, you know, where we learn the sort of the poly pharmaceutical nature of, of, of things, uh, any interesting sort of brainstorming about sort of combination uh, opportunities, uh, whether it's in diabetes or any of the uh, of these different conditions where, you know, hey, we now have a mod, we have something here where it doesn't just have to be a single magic bullet, a la how our pharma industry has traditionally thought the last hundred years, but hey, we can, we can experiment now with, with multiple modalities in one chloropast or in one piece of lettuce to, hey, um, and explore some of these polypharmaceutical, because, you know, I'm thinking back, and I apologize again for, you know, thinking about some of your publications when you were working with sort of the phytopharmaceutical side of things, you know, those are really complex biochemical cocktails that you're, you're supplying in dimension and some of these other studies you've done. Uh, any interesting things on that front that you could talk about? <laughs> well, obviously for us, it's very exciting to look at this type of tool, because as you've mentioned, it in theory, provides unlimited options to develop any sort of proteins. We've mentioned that Dr. Daniel has done it already with different components from very small one to bigger ones. So um, he has developed plans for um, quite a few proteins already. But at the moment, we as a company, we decide to focus on the ACE2 product Sure. We, on on frill and insulin, so we will we will definitely explore what this platform can offer in the future. And you're right, in theory, we could explore as complex as possible, but we'll see where this yeah. goes. Got it, got it. Um, Mike, what's um, and, and you can tag team on this one, but um, what's coming up that's hot for the company, uh, either financially or otherwise for 2023 uh funding rounds um conferences uh new upcoming publications you can mention please yes you can so you on that one as you, as you wish we have we have uh, several things going on uh, all in, in motion at the same time it's an exciting time for the company obviously we are in the process of talking to investors about our next round of funding um, Dr. Daniel will have a paper that will be published soon that we expect uh, will, of course, garner quite a bit of, uh, of, uh, of PR about uh, there's some significant findings there, uh, which will be exciting to see. And uh, several other uh, projects going on. We hope to be able to start several of our clinical studies this year. Um, so this will be a, a significant year in the company's development, to be sure. Andre, anything? Uh... 
out on the conference scene for you coming up or um, places that we're going to see you present? We can meet you face to face. Um, uh, other things happening, please. So what excites me most <laughs> is the research part. And certainly Dr. Daniel's paper is, is something we all look forward to have it published and to have it out there in the world because we, we are sure it will bring a lot of relevant feedback from the scientific community, but also from potential commercial partners. One last thing while I, I have you both, and I just, you know, because I, I know sort of early on in, uh, in Dr. Daniel's uh, research, he did a lot of work on antigens and sort of the the edible vaccine front. Um, are you getting a lot of sort of attention in this interesting vaccine world in 2023 for sort of uh, the, the edible vaccine concept, whether it's, you know, here in, in other countries? I mean, I know that was uh, years ago, I actually met uh, around the corner with Hillary Kapralski when he was working mm. on uh, rabies vaccine and uh, I forget tomatoes or something. But um, any anything interesting that uh, I know it's not probably core at this point to the company, but are you getting are you seeing a revitalization of that whole edible vaccine concept uh, at any point in 2023? Yes, uh, we've, yes we, we've seen other companies uh, pursuing it. I mean, it's not something that we've been focused on right now, but uh, I think there is significant interest in that area. I think uh, the interest in plants as delivery platforms is under significant interest around the world. And we're seeing many other companies doing things that are not the same as this, but you're certainly working with plants as a platform, uh, get significant funding. And uh, so we, we certainly see that we're on the cutting edge of a brand new uh, technological trend. And I'll, I'll let Andrea add as well. I, I fully support what Michael said. And uh, indeed, Dr. Daniel has already expertise in the field of oral vaccines. so. Who knows, it might be something we will explore as a company Excellent. at some point. And, and then just uh, one other thing I'm thinking of as we're talking about this and 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 um, obviously we get to scale up and thinking about sort of large scale production here. But we uh, you know, we're, we're all here in the, in the Philadelphia area and right across the river here is the, is our, our garden state. But um, clearly, you know. These these uh, these tools, uh, especially sort of the hydroponic uh, and alternative growing technologies, are getting kind of hot in, in, in New Jersey. Um, uh, are you getting a lot of excitement for sort of the grower community for uh, uh, for you know what's coming down the pike in terms of you know growing pharmaceutical crops versus you know just growing crops for calories? It's it's definitely a huge and growing industry. There's a lot of different things being grown. Uh, during yeah. our, our research, we learned of a company in North Jersey that's growing strawberries hydroponically yeah. um, and selling them for an exorbitant amount of money. I don't, I, yeah. Andrea, I don't remember. Do you remember what the price was? I think two hundred dollars. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was in incredible amounts of, of money that we were spending. So you have that extreme of things. You have uh, lettuce being grown hydroponically. Uh, for high-end stores that, that, that want to be able to produce that. And you know, with the, the outbreaks of listeria and that in some of the, the farm-grown crops, growing hydroponically has that attraction of avoiding some of the other bacteria or infestations that might be able to happen. So uh, certainly that's an interest as well. And, uh, and of course, with the legalization of cannabis across the yeah. country, uh, you get a lot of the growing operations that are growing cannabis as well. So yeah. there, there are significant uh, infrastructure being built out for growing. Um, it remains to be seen how we'll need of use of it. Obviously, right now, 
we're leveraging Dr. Daniel and he has a greenhouse here at the Pennovation campus. Yeah. And so we want to do everything we can through that mechanism for now. Um, we'll see what the future holds in that regard. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I just I like to see, you know, uh, these these ecosystems coming together and, and it's exciting that, you know, it's happening here and in, in the in the Philadelphia Silicon Valley region. So uh, it's just uh, uh, I, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to watching the progression of this um, uh, happening in, in, in the area and really just wishing you both much success with it because it is such a an exciting area and I'm, you know, near and dear to my my heart personally but um I, again for everybody um that's going to be listening to uh this particular episode of our show uh, across the various podcast networks or watching on the YouTube channel uh, again you've been listening to uh Michael Poizel uh, chief executive officer and Dr. Andrea Madalena Chaban chief operating officer uh Philo Pharma uh, doing really uh, amazing things in the development of novel technologies for cost-effective, safe-stable protein drug development, uh, all happening here in the Philadelphia area. Um, uh, Michael, Andre, I, I want to thank you both again for taking the time to to come on the show and talk to us uh, for a little while about these themes. Obviously, thank you for working on them. And as, as we like to say here on our show, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow via uh, the tools and technologies you're developing. Really very fascinating story. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you so much, Ira, for allowing us to share our story. It's great meeting you. Nice meeting both of you.